Okay, let's begin. So last week we finished John chapter 1, and I gave a bit of a homework assignment. So I think three of you were here. What was the homework assignment? Oh, for me it was to oh. read Luke. Oh, yes. <laughs> Did you read Luke? No. <laughs> all of Luke. <laughs> yeah, all of Luke. <laughs> and to figure out the age gap between um, JB and Jesus. John the Baptist and Jesus. Who wrote that, JB? No, I, I started that. <laughs> That's it, not sounds, a, it sounds cooler though. Yeah, it's not an Aria thing. It's a thing I made. Thank you. Um, okay, let's do a quick recap of John 1. And then we'll look at this final verse and try to figure out some of its connection and some of what it's trying to convey to us. Or at least what I think is contained in in this text, okay? So, uh, let me pray. I'll pray for us today, and then uh, we'll start. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Uh, as we open your word, would you help us uh, to be enlightened and help us to have comprehension over what is taught and what is uh, revealed to us and left for us to learn from and gain from. We seek your truth, and we ask for just conversation and dialogue uh, that is beneficial and helpful to one another and that we would um, have minds that are engaged at this time uh, with your text. Prayless your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so quick recap of John. Um, we looked at John. We looked at, of course, some of the major themes already con- like, of what's first and foremost thesis. First of John is John... John 20. Verse 31, which contains, the, what does it say? That you recorded? All of those yep. miracles are, are, are listed in this, but it, it's just to make you believe. I love this paraphrase. <laughs> right, right. So the whole point of John's gospel, as given to us by John, the author, is John 20, 30 to 31, that uh, these things have been recorded for the purpose of those who read, who read or hear these things, that they would come to believe Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. We looked at John 1. We looked at, of course, in the beginning was the word, its connection to Genesis. We looked at uh, the themes of uh, the theme of light in darkness, light versus darkness, I should say. We looked at the theme of the Logos, the word, the word becoming flesh. And so John is speaking into a time, an era, when people are starting to doubt the actual incarnation of Christ. Right? And so that is something he addresses. And uh, we'll continue to address, we look at the theme of God's timing, right? that all things happen in accordance with God's providence and will, and that all things are done uh, in his time. And so the language of the hour will now appear in chapter 2. We saw, of course, the language of the titles of Christ last week, right? We looked at, what are some of the titles we looked at? We were able to observe in the text. Lamb of God, right, which focuses on the atonement, Son of God, focusing on the second person of Trinity and the triune nature of God. King of Israel. Right, the King of Israel, so uh, the role that he plays and, and the offices, right? We famously know, of course, of Jesus' three offices, right? Which are, anyone know? Priest, prophet, and king. Right, prophet, priest, king, right? He satisfies all three. He is the great high priest, he is the great high prophet, and the great uh, high king, king of all kings, right? Um, so that kind of language starts to appear here. Uh, Corey really uh, was able to, uh, sorry, Corey was able to see for us that there is tri-trinitarian 
language contained within the first chapter. We saw this a couple times, actually. Uh, we saw, of course, the focus of John's gospel being that others would come to believe that his gospel essentially is a tool of witnessing Christ, right? And in the first chapter we saw last week, from verse 35 onward, this message of Christ and the discovery of Christ and the Messiah being proclaimed from person to person to person. And so we saw the witness of Christ. We see, of course, John the Baptist paralleling with Jesus. And we saw the switch from Jesus to John, Jesus to John. And we see how John points his everything, like all his whole life, to answer the questions that he's asked by the messengers of the, of the priests and the, and the Pharisees. They ask him questions, who are you? Keeps redirecting them to Christ, right? The person of Christ. And, um, and then we looked at, of course, um, I think something that was really powerful for us, this idea of seeing Christ, right? Of course, John, again, is talking about like this incarnated Christ that you can see and behold. Of course, as Nathaniel, brother Philip, uh, is approaching Jesus, right? His initial question is, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And then Philip's like, come and see, right? In that language of see, come see this person, see this true Messiah that I have discovered or has discovered me, really. He goes and behold, Jesus calls him, an Israelite. And we, of course, talked about how Israel, the name um, that Jacob is is given by God after his vision with him, means literally uh, the man who has seen God and lived, right? So here's Nathaniel, this Jew, approaching Jesus, and Jesus is like, an Israelite. And we ask the question, why would Jesus address him as an Israelite? He could have addressed him as so many other things. Why does he specifically address him as an Israelite? <laughs> and I think the whole purpose is, of course, is that um, the people of God are the ones who are able to see God, right? And so here's Israelite Nathaniel who uh, comes to Jesus and Jesus is revealing himself to him and he comes to see and what does he proclaim in verse 49? Rabbi, so he doesn't have a full understanding of who Jesus is yet, but he does say this, two very true, truthful things. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, Right? Um, and we talked about, of course, historically, like at the time that Jesus incarnated, we talked about uh, some of the misunderstandings that the Jews had about the coming Messiah. And here we see John clarifying the Son of God is the King of Israel. The King of Israel is the Son of God. And so there is like this uh, amazing uh, truth that is being taught to us is that it's not just this king who will be King of Israel, this, this political power uh, and entity. But, uh, but really, he will be sufficient in all of these offices, right? Um, and so that's, that's a wonderful thing that we're taught about Jesus. And, and then finally, we get to this last two verses, right? 50 and 51. So that's where we're going to start today. Uh, and then leading us into, famously, the miracle of Cana, right? Hopefully that recap chapter 1 for you. It's amazing how we can recap chapter 1 um, in like five minutes and it took us five weeks to do chapter <laughs> one but anyways um what was the homework the homework was this let's read so this is the homework jesus answered verse 50 and said to him because i said to you singular that i saw you singular under the fig tree do you singular believe you singular will see so there's that language again of seeing and of course we so, um, I think it's a pretty clear reference to Zia 6, 9, 10. Um, and that is, of course, the promise um, being fulfilled, right? When 
when uh, Philip said to him in verse 46 to Nathaniel, come and see, Jesus is saying, you will see. But not only will you, uh, maybe you came to see me just to check who I am, right? Check out who I am. But you're not just going to see me and say you're a son of God and king of Israel. You're going to see things that are greater than these, right? And then verse 51, this was your homework. What does this text mean? What does this last verse mean? Or what is it? At least, what kind of things um, does it conjure in your mind as an image? So here's interesting. All those yous were singular, specifically addressing Nathaniel. And then in verse 51, And he, Jesus, said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you. In the Greek, it, tur it turns into the plural you. So he's addressing the general crowd. Now, okay? You, plural, will see the heavens opened. So he just said to, to Nathaniel singularly, you will see things that greater things than these. And then he addresses everyone, essentially. And he's saying, all of you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, a lot of this language and a lot of the language of the first chapter of John has already, as you've already observed, alluded so much and referenced so much of the Old Testament. Verse 51, who's done their homework? <laughs> yes, thoughts? Um, Jacob's Ladder. Yes, and what do we see in Jacob's Ladder? Or recap Jacob's Ladder for us. Um, so he was, I don't know where he was, but he had a dream, and in mm -hmm. his dream, uh, there was a ladder, like a staircase, yeah, to heaven, and God was at the top. And on the ladder, angels were ascending and descending, yes. On it. And then there, it was the significance of it was like, oh, like he realized that God was at this place, and then he named that place Bethel, yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so the question then we need to ask is. If this is an allusion to Jacob's ladder and that particular vision that Jacob had, that dream, how does that have anything to do with the Son of Man? And why, this is again another title that we're given. So we've had Lamb of God, Son of God, King of Israel, the Word. We've had all these titles for the second person of Trinity. Um, the Christ, Messiah, right? And then we finally get the Son of Man, right? and potentially an allusion to Jacob's ladder, right? How does this have, how does this fit in the context of what's going on uh, in his conversation with Nathaniel? Because Jesus had just said, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you all, you all will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending. What does that mean? Like, how, what do you think Jesus is trying to convey there? Is it kind of that, like, Jesus will be the ladder? Kind of that like he's the connecting part between, like, the people? That is extraordinary. Like the of men and the, the 
Yeah. How? Well, like, what do you? What do you? Like, how does that come to your mind? Uh, I was just like thinking at first, like, son of man sounds like a contrast to heaven angels. Okay. Like he is the connecting piece that will allow the son to be set between like us who live on earth, just like humans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just and like kind of points to <coughs> sacrifice he made and like his purpose here to mm-hmm. be the connecting piece between the two. Okay. Yeah, I think you're on the right track here. And I think you're probably correct. And, um, but we can, we can continue to build on this. So if we're going to say that the ladder um, is, in a sense, an image that preludes and points towards the, the cross, and then we have this image of angels ascending and descending, from earth to heaven essentially and the second person of trinity and his the cross itself is in a sense the bridge between heaven and earth right mm-hmm. like what what does this all mean to us what would it mean to humanity what would it mean to nathaniel or anyone else listening to this at the moment salvation. okay salvation also Sorry? Okay, so salvation is only through Jesus. That would fit really well with John's gospel, right? Because this is the very gospel where John will say, or Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Um, maybe like, um, kind of like an image of like a new heaven and earth. Image of new heaven and earth? Okay, yeah, how so? Kind of almost like, because like right now, it's like there is no like, visual connection mm-hmm. between heaven and earth but in after everything mm-hmm. like, there might exactly be that almost like a kind of like a direct like highway in between where it's like they're kind of like okay so. okay so the way um for all of this to unfold and for salvation to unfold and for uh, redemption to be fully realized and fulfilled is through this one mean and this one mean is Christ and his cross mm-hmm. okay I think we're getting on the right track any other like like um, any other thoughts is it also like um, just kind of saying to Nathaniel he'll like save like everyone okay that he will save everyone like, kind of, like in the sense where it's like when he says like greater things and switches from the singular to the plural, mm-hmm. right? It's not like just like a select people. Okay. Right? But it's it's like everyone will be like kind of like welcomed into his kingdom. Okay. How so? Um, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't everyone like not everyone? Oh, yeah, well, like, yeah, yeah, not like everyone. Else. Right. We do know that not everyone is saved, but I think. What, what um, Jet might be getting at is that there is an, there is an efficacy and a sufficiency in the death of Christ on the cross to cover all sin. Oh. That doesn't mean that every sinner will have all their sins covered by the blood of the Lamb and thus saved. So no different than when Moses in the 10th plague said, hey, put the blood of the lamb on your doorframe and the angel of death will pass you by. So anyone could have slayed like 
a young lamb that evening. An Egyptian, an Egyptian, a Jew, a faithful Jew, an unfaithful Jew, uh, potentially like hindering Egyptian at this point after nine plagues, right? Um, anyone, even Pharaoh himself, could have painted his door, door frame with the blood of the lamb and have had the angel of death pass him by, right? It is, um, there is an efficacy and sufficiency in that blood, the power of that blood to give you a bypass, a passing over, that's what's called Passover, of the angel of death, right? It has nothing to do with, like, what's inside the homes. It has everything to do with what's outside, right? That, of course, precursor to Christ and his atonement. But uh, I think that's what Judd's getting at, right? That there is an efficacy to and sufficiency to all, like Gentile, Jew alike. Um, doesn't matter who it is. That there is a sort of global awakening at this point that's happening and the realization that always was the case that from the Abrahamic covenant onward the purpose was always for the nations it was never for a nation right um, but but what like in context right because we're kind of like working on the fringes now like we're really stretching it because we know how this story ends sure, sure. right mm-hmm. but but if you're just Nathaniel and the other men that are there and you're listening to Jesus and he points out to Nathaniel. So if I heretically say I am Jesus and you are non-heretically Nathaniel, um, <laughs> he said, Nathaniel, you will see greater things than these. Now all of you will see the heavens opened up and you will see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I don't know if this is a stretch. Stretch it. Okay. Um, well, he calls Nathaniel an Israelite. Yes. And then he addresses him in verse 50, like, with the singular you. Uh-huh. And then it changes to plural. Is, mm-hmm. Does that have... Uh, does that have any, like, representation for salvation being opened up to the Gentiles? In a way, I think that's what Joe was getting at, right? That there is this, the language of Christ and the way he addresses and, and brings out this point is that the act of the cross, if we're going to assume the latter is a representation or an allusion to the cross itself, let's call it, biblically we would say it's a typology. Mm-hmm. So it, if the latter is a typological cross in the Old Testament, at least in, as an image, that it connects the heaven and earth, right? Because sin is a disconnect of heaven and earth. Sin is a disconnect of God's creation, right? So if if this ladder is going to function as a means to provide a way between heaven and earth, uh, between heaven and earth and earth and heaven, essentially, um, then yeah, there is now this opening up, right, of this conversation to all. It's interesting that he goes from addressing Nathaniel specifically to then broadening the conversation that everyone will see these things happen. Not just you who came to see and you have seen and now you believe that I am the Son of God and the King of Israel. But not only will you come to this understanding, although that's important, you are about to see greater things than these. Right? Let's go back to our historical lesson. So you're a Jew. Right? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, so. Sorry. Um, go ahead. 
I was just like thinking because like every single week we talk about kind of like what were these guys expecting yes right and so right now they're looking just like for like a savior here on earth right yes. just like like save us from like the Roman Empire or whatever yeah. right and like free us from this right and so that we can have whatever it be peace or anything to be with you right yeah but he's saying I'll do far more than that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not in the way that you're going to expect it. Mm-hmm. It's a greater things that you can't even like imagine. Yes. And through whatever that means is, the heavens will also open up, and you guys will have that. It's not just you having like your peace on earth. Yeah. Like, look at the last thing that, um, the last thing that Nathaniel calls him is, "You are the king of Israel," right? So there's a messianic expectation mm-hmm. of. Christ to be king of Israel but Jesus's response answer look, the scripture says Jesus answered and said to him you believe this because I said that you were under a fig tree like that's just child's play let's just paraphrase here like that's a shallow understanding compared to something greater that you will see like you will come like it's great that he can see he's the son of god and the king of israel but jesus is saying like there is far greater of a thing that you will see not only in me but in what i do and what i accomplish for on your behalf and then he says in verse 51 to everyone i say to you you will see the heavens opened now this heaven language will be uh, very critical Right. We'll see it uh, throughout. Uh, we'll see it over and over again. Uh, commonly found in the Gospels is the question of how can I be in, in the kingdom of heaven? How, where is, where, how or what means, by what means can I uh, guarantee myself in the, in the place in heaven? Right? Mm-hmm. This is a common Jewish concern. Right? It's like they want to secure that ticket to heaven. Right? And whatever means necessary and Jesus's answer to all of these questions will is and well has always been it is himself he is the way the truth and the life right but that realization will come only through the work one singular work that he will accomplish on our behalf and that is on the cross which is very which when we get there will be very very radically different from what the jews had expected their king to do right um it would be like you know um it would be like us putting our hope and everything like all of our expectation and everything into a champion who ultimately looks like they are losing right it, it looks like defeat it doesn't look like victory it just looks like constant it just looks like we lost right the cross is not a symbol of victory in the moment that it's happening in the moment it's humiliating and it seems like the most devastating of losses mm-hmm. and what's really ironic about that of course is that it is the greatest moment of victory in all of human history battle that none of us can win so i think this allusion to jacob's vision if true so some scholars say it's a stretch to put like jacob's ladder here um 
I go back and forth, but I, I, after reading Carson on this and his entire, like, you can read it, it's about 10 pages long of just him breaking down every view on this. I think there is an allusion to the uh, vision of Jacob's ladder. And I think the illusion is that, is that the typology of the ladder being uh, um, a, an image, like a very faint image of the cross to come. And the cross, of course, uh, representing Christ's atonement on, on our behalf, allowing thus an access between heaven and earth um, for creation, for creature, and that it is done through the Son of Man. Now, why is the Son of Man language really important? Because I know we focused on the Jacob, the ascending and descending of angels, but why the Son of Man title all of a sudden? See, Jesus rarely addresses himself, and I don't know if he ever does really, uh, explicitly anyway, where he where he will say like, "I am the Son of God" or "I am God." Like this is a very rare sort of occurrence for uh, Jesus to reveal himself in that manner. The most common title he gives himself is the Son of Man in the Gospels. Anyone know where this language comes from? Because it doesn't sound like divine. <laughs> like, I too. Like, if I was there, I'd be like, oh, well, I too am a Son of Man. My Father is a man, and I am his Son. Hence, I am Son of Man. <laughs> right? Like, what, what does that, like, how does that make... Like, Son of God just sounds way higher up, you know? <laughs> like, where does the Son of Man language come from? Can I take a wild guess? Wild guess it away. Um, does it have anything to do with, like, Adam? Oh, yes. Where, where like, explain. <laughs> like, that, him, his lineage? Yes, yes. Absolutely. So there's, that's one. So you got one of three. Oh, three? Yeah. Two. So son of man, one is like, Adam is the Hebrew word for man, right? It simply just means man. Um, actually, I think or in its root word, it's, it's dust or dirt, right? From which like um, God created Adam. But the Hebrew word for all man is, is Adam, right? So that is like, Literally, like, to say you are a son of Adam is, like, to say I'm a son of man, like, to say, like, I am of human descent is correct, right? And Adam, of course, being, like, the federal head of all of mankind. Uh, is it also because uh, what separates, like, human beings from, uh, like, angels and gods, the fact that we have sin? So is it the reason why Jesus was even, even had to come to earth? Mm-hmm. Fulfill his mission is because uh, he's kind of not a product, but he's gone because of this human sin. Okay. So he has come because of human sin. Yeah, this is why it's like son of man. Okay, okay. So you're talking about Jesus might be uh, giving him his, himself this title on the basis of the the reason or the purpose he came for yeah. not so much the form that he came in but the actual purpose behind his coming yeah. okay okay now we don't see any old testament reference to that so i'll tell you this the son of man title appears 
in three different contexts or three different scenarios in the Old Testament, you got one, right? In reference to being a, a human, like a son of man, right? Uh, a son of Adam, essentially. Oh, go ahead, it's fine. Um, but can you think of two others, potentially? I, I'd be very, I don't know if I'd be impressed, but I, just, I think it'd be cool if the other two were figured out. Like three. One is really hard, by the way. Like one of these last two things is like, like even I, like I'd be shocked if some pastors knew this. But actually, Wait, maybe I shouldn't be shocked. But. This is this is three contexts in the Old Testament where the Son of Man. Yeah, the Son of Man title is derived from the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. The question is like, is Jesus? The question then becomes, which of these three is Jesus referencing mm-hmm. in his usage of it, right? Or there's, I think, a really tricky one, and Carson, Carson kind of talks about this. He might be referencing all three. Can you give us hints? <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ivy said that Jesus has three offices that he, right? Priest, <laughs> right? priest king. Prophet, priest, and king. Adam was the priest of the garden. He was the first priest of mankind. So Jesus, that is attached to that title. The son of man title could be potentially, if it's in the usage of son of Adam, serving, of course, Pauline theology, the second Adam theology of Christ, then he is essentially the new priest that is, that is actually obedient to God and does actually uh, fulfill his role as the priest of of mankind, right? One really interesting high theology that you should be aware of that just might be fun for you to know. Um, first Adam, in a garden, told to obey God in reference to a tree, disobeys, causes human sin, right? The death of all mankind. The second Adam, found in a garden on the night of his arrest, is told to obey God, right? It's told to, by the will, your will, not my will be done. To, be, to obey God and his word in reference to a cursed tree, the cross. He does obey, leading to the life of all those who believe. So it's a complete reversal. It's a really high theology sort of point. But the second Adam is obedient where the first was not. In reference to a tree, in a garden, in representation of mankind. Why is it called like second Adam? He's the second Adam because Adam and Jesus are the only two um, that did not uh, come to, uh, were not birthed by a biological father. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So they have no tainted original sin. Mm. So a lot of people ask, like, why doesn't Jesus have original sin? He was birthed through a pregnancy. No man was involved in that pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That was the spirit who impregnated uh, the Virgin Mary. So he was not tainted by the original sin of Adam. Wait, I have a question. Do the other two have to do with... Prophet and king. Prophet and king? Yeah. King David? David. You're getting there. You're in the (laughs) Old Testament now. (laughs) Does the... I don't want to hear the answer until <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll tell you one. I'll tell you one so that... No, wait. <laughs> okay. Okay, so one is Daniel chapter 7, 
Daniel Seven uh, is one of the only texts, I think it is the only text in the Old Testament that's written Aramaic, which is the language that Jesus spoke, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because this vision is written in the Aramaic, and this vision is, does anyone know the Daniel Seven vision? Uh, so there's two people in the Old Testament who have extreme clear, semi-clear, visions of heaven. First is Isaiah, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, right? Isaiah 6 sees the throne, the seraphim comes, and there's like two to cover his feet, two to cover his whatever, and then, you know, he touches his lips with the coal. That's where Isaiah's like, oh, I am, you know, I'm an unclean man. I live among a people of unclean lips. And then he touches his lips. See, this is such your lips. You're now clean. And then Isaiah gets up, and God's like, who will go for me? And then Isaiah's like, send me. Here I am, send me, right? Like that whole thing, that's vision number one. And then there's a second of the heavenly throne in Daniel 7. And interestingly enough, in Daniel 7, you have the image of, anyone know? Hell. <laughs> no, of heaven. Right? <laughs> it's of heaven. It's definitely yes. of heaven. Um, but it's the Ancient of Days, right? On it's sitting on his throne. It's God, God the Father. And then suddenly an angel comes, and Daniel's like, oh shoot, I gotta like give reverence to this angel and then the angel's like whoa 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 like what are you doing get up like we around here we only like (laughs) worship god like you don't worship angels like we're just creatures right and then this man on a cloud right comes flying in or whatever right enters the scene and daniel's like whoa and then appeared the man on a cloud and he had radiance and all these things right and then all the angels bow to him so there's a figure on the throne in the ancient of days in heaven who everyone's bowing and worshiping to holy holy is the lord god almighty and then you have a man on cloud who is being revered but the angel just said around here we only worship god right like did sin to not to worship anything else and here are these two seemingly like seemingly two figures that are being worshiped simultaneously right so this image of heaven i think is of course and then what does Daniel call that person? Jesus. <laughs> nice try. <laughs> the name of Jesus is given us later, right? Yeshua is given at his birth. In his, uh, in the, like Gabriel gives the name. Son of man. Right? Behold the son of man who comes on a cloud, right? So the ancient of days, son of man. That vision is Daniel 7. That serves, of course, this idea of the king of all kings, right? So you have Jesus, office of king. Jesus, the office of priest with his reference to adam this is carson by the way i'm not saying this is true but this is just Carson's thought it could be one of the three or it could be all three right i think that was a really interesting thought the third one the prophet one that's the hard one you gotta really know your old testament to know this one <laughs> well i gave you a major hint already the one that, um, i forgot what's his name but he went through all these difficulties and first but then in the end he was blessed again but like it wasn't because it was a punishment but he, was, he had like the skin disease and, what's his name job job is it job job no no <laughs> job not a prophet but oh, nice try <laughs> anyone can you name all the prophets <laughs> uh, no <laughs> <laughs> nice try nice try <laughs> 
Nice try, Arya. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> wow. Wow. Can you give us the book that it happens in? Uh, um. Yeah, I can. Wait. Is Ezekiel also called the Yes. Yes. It is Ezekiel. Which one is Ezekiel? Ezekiel's a prophet. Right? Ezekiel's the dry bones guy. Most people know him as the dry bones prophet. <laughs> right? Dry bones rise and arise, and then the flesh came onto the bones, and oh. they were like zombies, and they came back to life. Right? <laughs> yes. That's Ezekiel. Uh, as a prophet, referenced himself as the son of man. Right? Um, not to say he is like the second person of the Trinity, uh, but the language of that uh, is the prophets commonly, it is assumed, that um, people of God, men of God, right, uh, refer to themselves as the son of man, I guess lowercase m, if you will, right, um, to basically reference that, you know, we are, um, what's the best way to describe this? The prophets would have said we are a people who are in service of man on behalf of God, right? So, um, I don't know if that's the right wording. Let me read you what Carson wrote. Because, like, I think that'll just, like, really clarify everything for you. Mm. But, um, if I can find it. I hope I highlighted it. If I didn't highlight it, I'm going to be really sad. This is commentary on John. This is the greatest commentary on John in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It's Carson's John commentary. If you want to purchase it, you can go ahead. This is the archaic version. It's actually used by my dad. I stole it from him. Um, in introducing this province, Jesus employs the first time the double amen, truly, truly, etc., etc., etc. Okay, because Jesus explicitly alludes to the experience of Jacob's life, it becomes clear what kind of vision he's promising. It is quite beside the point to say that the cross is now the ladder. So, again, it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, since Jesus makes no mention of the ladder explicitly, equally, it misses the point to say that 151 draws a parallel between Jacob and the disciples. Etc. 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 To see heaven open is to be a court of vision of divine matters. What the disciples are promised then is a heaven-centered confirmation that the one they have acknowledged as the Messiah has been appointed by God. Okay. Uh, through him comes fullness of grace, surpassing place the early grace. Jesus' self-designation. Listen now carefully. The Son of Man was an ambiguous expression, both in Hebrew and in Greek. A Son of Man could be a I don't know if you know this term, circumlocution for a human being, and on occasion, Jesus apparently used it instead of I or me. At the same time, the expression enjoyed obvious affinity with the one like a son of man in Daniel's vision, Daniel 7, 13-14, the one who is granted universal authority by the Ancient of Days. Precisely because the expression was not narrowly tied to one eschatological figure, Jesus could take it up and use it without fear of being misunderstood because of doubtful association in his hearers' minds. Titles like King of Israel, King of Jews, while appropriate at a certain level, were so loaded with political. So again, he knows this, right? That there is um, what we would have, what we would have called political messianism, um, that they could not be adopted without restraining appropriate caveats. Son of Man, on the other hand, lay ready to hand as an expression that could be filled with precisely the right content in the New Testament. In other words, he himself shapes content, and under its rubric fuses the authoritative figure of Daniel 7 with the righteous sufferer motif in the Old Testament, um, etc., etc., etc. 
full moon promise 151 culmination 51 to the resurrection you know what i think he goes into the sun and thing in another chapter <laughs> anyways when we get there <laughs> when we get there uh we'll talk about it but prophet priest king remember this son of man used in three references to the person of adam son of man mm-hmm. the prophets uh in specifically ezekiel good figuring that one out all you really had to do was name one of the three major prophets so if anyone asks you which prophet just say isaiah uh jeremiah or ezekiel <laughs> right <laughs> that's all you got to do because the other ones like they barely did much but um the that language right in reference to being a prophet of god right in service of man um well we're gonna learn malachi this sunday the first words of malachi chapter one verse one if i remember correctly is this is an oracle of the word of the lord through malachi right so it is malachi being an instrument of god in heralding and proclaiming god's word on his behalf to his people right so the work of the prophet is to do such to do exactly that to say thus says the lord right exactly how malachi then begins thus says the lord i love you i have loved you but then so on but anyways um that was that could be the office that could be what jesus is referencing like here i am i am the ultimate prophet i am the fulfillment of the prophets i am the fulfillment of the prophecies i am everything the prophets spoke of right so son of man could refer to that uh but most commonly people associate son of man with the vision in daniel 7 right Mm -hmm. Because it's so explicit and it's so obvious to the Christian who is Trinitarian, right? It's like, whoa, ancient of days giving authority and reverence to this other person? It must be the Trinity or else we now have a polytheistic God, right? Like, what is this? So, um, I hope that makes sense. That's why the title is really important. That's why I spend so much time on it because you're going to see it over and over again. If you read Luke, you will also see it there. If you read John, um, Matthew and Mark, you will see it there as well. Very, very prominent title that Jesus uses. Okay, the rest of our time, uh, let's read just the first 12 verses. And in the 20 or so minutes I have, I'm going to try to give you a theological breakdown of this miracle. The famous first miracle, right? Turning water into wine. I remember back in the day in uh, campus ministry, we used to do like a water turning into wine cocktail drinks without alcohol. It was basically just grape juice frozen into ice cubes and then you throw it into Sprite, it turns into wine. It's kind of smart. It's smart, right? That's I so thought cute. of that. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. That, that works too, but it's cooler when it's, uh, it's like, oh, here's Sprite. And then, boom, water into wine. Right? Anyways. <laughs> Let's read it. Uh, We got... Oh, perfect. Six people here. Two verses each. Um, Looking forward to the KJV on this one. Okay. (laughs) I'll start going Liz's direction. Two verses each. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what what does that have to do with... Us, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there are six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. He has told the servants, Fill the water jars with water. So they filled them up to the very top. Then he told them, Now draw some out, 
some out and take it to the head steward, and they did. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, or that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men <laughs> have well drunk, then that which is worse, but thou hast keep the good wine until now. Uh, this the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. After this he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Right. Famous, right? Probably a passage, probably a sermon or two in your life, if you grew up in the church, you've heard on this passage. I myself have preached frequently on John 2, 1 to 12. Uh, it's one of my favorite sermons to preach. Actually, actually, when people ask me to preach on something, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just preach on John 2, 1 to 12. But, or Mark 4. But, what do we know about this miracle? What stands out to you? Like, everything I've taught you about John so far, apply it. This is when you start, like, nitpicking and looking at details. What do you see here immediately? Wait, before, like, that, I'm just, like, yes. confused why... Jesus is like at the beginning he's yes. like okay like what do I have to do with this and then all of a sudden yes. he's doing something about it good question very good question because <laughs> it seems like he's contradicting himself he's like what does this have to do with me my hour has not yet come and then he's like alright get those purification jars right good question questions are valuable right now as well so if you have questions ask those as well but shelve those questions so hold on to them we'll answer them anything else that immediately stands out to you so we're putting on our Yohanan glasses and our lens is to look at this through what we've already learned in John 1. Everything, thematically, images, like wording, like certain things that stand out to you. What stands out? <laughs> mm. um, and the mom's telling the servants that whatever Jesus tells them to do, to do it. Mm, yes, all of a sudden there is this uh, very like authority that is clearly being uh, given to Jesus, right? Or at least that he possesses some type of authority. Um, now, I don't know if Jesus' mother at this point has a full understanding of who Jesus is because he's being asked to resolve the absence or the lack of wine at a party. <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know if that's really what we're supposed to seek Jesus for, right? Um, but anyways, that is what is done, right? Anything else? Uh, my hour has not yet come. Ah, yes. My hour has not yet come. Why does that stand out to you? There's something about time in the first mm. chapter. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. So the term hour, like you can literally, if you're willing to highlight it in your Bibles, like this is going to come out over and over and over again. Okay, it has, it ties into what Aria was asking actually, but yes. So, providence, Lord's will, and his timing, God's timing. Those are themes in John's gospel. We're going to see this. What else? Verse 6, he explains that the water jars are for the Jewish rites of purification. He mm -hmm. was teaching how John, or JB, was writing this like for the Gentiles. So, it's like he's explaining these Jewish rites. Yes, so John, the author, is writing these things oh, yeah, sorry. for 
for this Jewish audience, um, for a predominantly Jewish audience that has distanced itself from its Jewish roots, right? Uh, so there is definitely, um, but evangelistically, there was of course, an, like in the in the world that he's writing, it's a Greco-Roman world, so he is definitely addressing or giving detail on certain things. But I think he highlights the the jars as being jars of purification um, for a different reason. Well, what's a major image of John's gospel that we've already discussed? Water. Water. Where have we seen water so far? Baptism. Baptism. Okay, so we had a huge conversation on Jesus' baptism, um, the lack of that story really being present, but at least the act of baptism clearly being done on the part of John, the Baptist. Um, so we've already seen water once. We're in the second chapter. We immediately see water. First miracle is water turning into Wine. Oh, okay, not just any water. It's a water perfume. What do you understand? Oh, so basically, <laughs> we were kind of um, what we were talking about was like John the Baptist, uh -huh. and like with water, we're not to, we weren't saying like baptism with water is not significant. Okay, right? obviously, of course it is. Yes, right. Um, that being said, yes, it's just kind of like the oh. foreshadow of like the preparation mm -hmm. for the ultimate, the, the yes. true baptism, baptism right? of the Holy Spirit, where with like where Jesus will like draw blood yep. um, quite literally mm -hmm. and baptize, baptize us through the Holy Spirit Yes, and then with that and the same thing is like a wine is a comparable to blood mm -hmm. right? well and at least at the last, last supper yeah at the last, right? last take this oh, this so, is my blood right Yeah, and so then in the same it's like Jesus turning this baptism the original baptism uh -huh. into uh -huh. kind uh -huh. of like his own right again so Again, we know what the conclusion is, so we're stretching it to oh, the cross okay. and we're stretching it there, which is fine. That's not wrong to do. But in the immediate, right, in the moment when Jesus is saying these things in the wedding in Cana, I think there is uh, an understanding that is palpable to those people in the moment, right? Um, because he has yet to shed blood, right? Yeah, yeah. So in the moment, I think there's still an understanding that they can understand that we need to comprehend before we stretch it to the cross, right? Uh, but good point. Very, very good point. You're starting to make the connections, and I think the picture is getting clearer for you, which is great. Anything else? Is it more generally just like he'll make it so much more valuable? He'll make it so much more valuable? Yes, in a sense. In a sense. What about verse 11? This beginning of his signs Jesus did in Canada Galilee. Does that draw any sort of like... Ooh. <laughs> What's our thesis verse? And not all the miracles. Sorry? Oh, oh they're, they're not all reported, yeah. but these have been recorded for you. And how many signs? How many signs did John record? Seven. How many I am statements? Seven. Seven. So start counting. This is the first sign. So he has chosen this to not only be the first in the record, but to be the first of the seven, right? And so we're going to look at six more, but this is the first one. So it begins with this, and it ends with Lazarus's raising from the grave. Okay, so we're going to look at five. In the, I kind of gave it away, but five in the middle. Last one's Lazarus. First one's this, okay? Um, so let's look at it. Let's break it down. On the third day, so remember the time markers that John loves to give us, right? Because, again, God's timing theme. On the third day... Now, if I just read that, you might think like, oh, this is the resurrection. But it's not. It's John 2. There was a wedding. Um, it's not insignificant that this is a wedding scene. Why? 
yeah connect it all so if we're gonna go with jet's theory and jet is saying this is a lesson the miracle itself is a symbolic lesson of how jesus will shed blood on our behalf and ultimately satisfy that which the purification jars could not right the purification jars were there to purify clearly all they could do was temporarily clean but Jesus' wine, blood, will actually fully cleanse us of our sin, right? If that's the accomplishment of his blood and his atonement on the cross for our sins, right? Uh, it also accomplishes what you're just saying, which is what? Yeah. So it's not insignificant for us to just say, oh, well, I mean, we could just say like, oh, it just happens to be a wedding. I don't think it's insignificant that it's a wedding. Mm-hmm. I think that detail is very important to John, who, by the way, is the author of Revelation. And in Revelation 20, we see the wedding, the final wedding between um, Christ and his church. Right? So I don't think it's insignificant that John is recording this. Remember, he chose this to be the first sign that he's going to record for us. Cana of Galilee, I think, is insignificant. <laughs> okay? Who cares about Cana? Unless it's Canada of Galilee. But anyways, and the mother of Jesus was there. Okay, pause. Why would it not just explicitly say Mary? It's also just in relation to Jesus. Also, what do we have absent in the first chapter? The nativity story is different in John's gospel. What was it? Yeah, the virgin birth is absent. The story is absent. The miracle of the birth is absent. At this point, the story is famous enough. John's point is not to give you a historical record again of like, here's how he came to be, right? You have that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, give it to you, right? Let me tell you what's actually happening on a theo- like a Christological level and a theological level, which is the word becoming flesh. The word has become flesh. And then here, no mention of her name, just mother of Jesus. What does that make Mary, really? Just the mother of Jesus. Yeah, just a human. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be even more apparent when Jesus refers to her as woman right it's very offensive if we, any of us were ever to go to our mother and say woman how dare you right what does this have to do with me it's like max take out the garbage woman what is this garbage that your second son has actually thrown it out into the garbage what does this garbage have to do with me right it would be offensive right? no one would talk like that right remember the center of john's gospel i mean all the gospels really but the central force and authority that John is really trying to repel into our minds and hearts is it's really Jesus. Jesus' voice and God's will and his timing for all things is really the force at play. Right? It is the ultimate authority at play. So in this wedding in Cana in, of Galilee, the mother of Jesus was there. Central is Jesus. The relation is just that she is mother of him. Right? But Jesus is the center of this story. And both Jesus... And his disciples were invited to the wedding. Okay? So they're all there. Disciples, who we've seen all the... So we're going to assume it's like Nathaniel, Philip, like all these people, right? They are there. When the wine ran out. So here's the problem in the situation. What's the problem? The wine has run out. Okay, so this is where our Old Testament sleuth minds have to start to play, okay? Um... What is wine to a party, to a wedding, and to a Jew? 
like if this is the critical issue at play right like really the miracle is water being turned into wine satisfying the absence of wine or the lack of thereof right so that's really like sort of the shallow understanding of this wedding scenario right of this miracle but the miracle really isn't jesus going here's water i've turned it into wine like that is the actual thing that happened but that's not really the miracle that jesus like john wants you to like focus on right it's what it represents obviously but it sets up the story this wine running out right people are sad and People are sad, and Jesus makes them happy. Okay. He quenches their thirst. Okay, quench. Is he sprite at this point? Um, <laughs> quench your thirst, right? Um, when the wine ran out, that's that's the time. That's the moment when the mother starts turning to Jesus, right? Like, think about this theologically. What do you think John is trying to convey to us? Give us like three minutes. Three minutes? Okay. <laughs> three minutes later. <laughs> Is it like Israel? When okay, what about Israel? That when they was God's not favor, but I can't think of a proper word. And then they turn to Jesus because oh, the connection to God that started missing because of when. Yes, yes, okay. So we're getting on the same page. Remember what I told you? A lot of the gospels, a lot of the miracles, a lot of the things that happen are statements on Israel. And statements on the time and the human condition and the human heart and people's relation to God, right? Um, let's look at this from a shallow level. Wine running out at a wedding party. What essentially happens to that party? It's boring. It's boring and it's what? It's boring and unexciting. Everyone starts leaving. Sure, everyone starts leaving. <laughs> They're not really here for the wedding. Who cares about these two people who have fallen in love? We're here for the party, right? Um, yeah, the wine running out at the party mm. is a failure on the end of whom? The, host. the Who's the host? The bridegroom. Yes. So the groom of the wedding. This is why I say I don't think it's a... I don't think it's insignificant that it's a wedding. Mm -hmm. The groom of this wedding has failed in his duties. To what? Make sure this party goes Fun. on, right? The celebration. <laughs> yeah. On. This party has ceased. He has failed to, I don't want to say satisfy the guests, but at least take care of the guests and provide that which allows this party to be ongoing. Right? Mm -hmm. The celebration of this to be ongoing now, of course any wedding has an end to it wine does never never ceases to run out but i mean just two chapters later we're going to read in john 4 the samaritan woman at the well and jesus will say there's living water that i can give you that will never run out but here at least in the first miracle what we're seeing is language of a groom in a wedding failing in his duties and allowing the wine to run out. Now, if that's a statement on Israel, who is the groom? Or who is Israel? I just gave it away. Who is Israel? Who is Israel? Bride? Israel's the groom oh. in this case, right? They are to be hosting this, this thing, right? 
They're hosting this thing and they're supposed to make sure this thing is ongoing, but they have failed in their duty, right? Just like Adam failed in the garden, the Israelites have failed as a nation under God. And in their failure, the wine has run out. Now, I'll just tell you because I don't think you'd know this. Wine in the Old Testament is an image of God's blessing. Wine is an image of that. It's a symbol of the blessing of God. It's uh, the abundance of wine and the presence of wine. It's not so much a focus on the alcohol. It's really one of the only sanitary things they could drink. But the presence of wine and, and, and the abundance of it was a sign of God's provision, and God's blessing upon his people. The ceasing of this wine at this party by this host is not only his failure, but has also ceased, essentially, symbolically, God's blessing. Okay? So Israel has failed in their duties. When this happens, that sets up the scene. Okay? So thematically, that's what's going on. The mother of Jesus said to him, to Jesus, they have no wine. Not, we don't have wine. They don't have wine. Okay? And Jesus said to her, Woman. Okay, I'll just like, I don't have much time, so I'll just go through it. Woman is basically this. You too will be saved in accordance with your faith in Christ. Right? Boo-hoo, you gave birth to me. Whoop-dee-doo. That's no, sal- that's no ticket to salvation. Right? Like if I'm the Virgin Mary, I think like I would go before the, tr- the Trinitarian God and I'd be like, well, I mean, I was a vessel of his birth. Like, he literally came out of my vagina. Like, come on. Doesn't that, like, count for anything? Mm. Imagine the dude next in line, right? Like, shoot, I have nothing to that. (laughs) Like, it's like, I just went to church every Sunday, right? It's like, Virgin Mary literally is like, yo, like, I literally, like, I was pregnant for months and I gave birth to the Son of God. Doesn't that count for anything? No. Nothing. No works righteousness. Nothing. Nada. You too are saved alone on the basis of your faith in Christ. And that's it. That's why you're just a woman. Because to Jesus, who is divine, and he's the word who has become flesh, he is not under Mary in any way. Right? He is not subordinate to Mary. He is not um, something that is conjured as a result of Mary. Right? He is the authority above her. Right? And he is her means of salvation as well. And that cannot be confused. That priority cannot be confused. So Jesus has all the right to say, and I think the question is valid. He's the Son of God at this point. We've been told He's the Lamb of God, the King of Israel, the Son of God, the Son of Man. What does this have to do with Him? Nothing. This situation itself has nothing to do with He's not the groom. He's a, he's a guest. He himself is suffering because the wine is run out. Like, what does this have to do with him? It doesn't have anything to do with him, right? And then he says something really interesting. He says, my hour has not yet come. So we don't know the intention of why Mary would go to Jesus with this issue. Does Mary at this point know that Jesus has some like powers to like conjure wine out of thin air? Like, does she have knowledge of this? We can't be certain. But the question is asked, just because he's wise, perhaps there's a way for him to figure out a way for them to obtain wine somehow but this is interesting he says my hour has not yet come right so and then he immediately proceeds to actually 
settle the issue, right? So I asked my Sunday school kids one time, like, what do you think Jesus meant in this passage? And this really smart but little kid, he was like, well, isn't it obvious? And I was like, okay, what is it? He's like, it was like five minutes before the hour. It was like five minutes before the hour had come. So he just waited five minutes. The hour came, and then he performed the miracle. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> that must be it. It can't be anything else. Right? You are absolutely correct. No, he's wrong. Um, if the groom, the wine, the wedding, like everything is symbolic of Israel, their spiritual state, the dryness, the disconnect... Um, and the wine represents God's blessing running out and in need of new wine, then his hour cannot possibly be in reference to what is happening in the situation. The language of the hour must mean something else. And if it's in reference to the salvation of many, then this hour, and we'll get there and we'll see it right then, when Jesus finally says on the night of his arrest, my hour has now finally come. So his hour is really what? The hour of? Of his death. So he's talking about his death. His mother said to the servants, ignoring everything Jesus just said, <laughs> by the way, whatever he says to you, do it. <laughs> I love it. I love the faith she has in him to provide wine. Okay? Um, that's good. Because, you know, later she's going to be like, whoa, I really nailed that. Like that. I really got that. Right? <laughs> Um, that's another thing she could probably say to the Trinitarian God, like, hey, not only did I give birth, but I got that hour thing right. Um, there were six stone water pots. Now, these water pots are for the Jewish customification. Basically, hand washing pots, hand and feet washing pots. Very dirty back then. They would come in, take off their sandals, wash their hands, their feet, and then they would enter and eat and all that stuff, right? Uh, if you remember when Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, and we'll get there too, it, it's one of the most like the dirtiest parts of their bodies so for jesus to wash their feet it was like the lowest of acts right um so these were purification jars that although cleansed physically represented uh, also symbolically spiritual cleansing right uh, and so these were once used for religious cleansing and jesus as an act of turning this into wine, as a miracle, will symbolically represent what? What was once cleansing you under the law, your rituals, your purification ordinances and practices, all of these things do not suffice. Not eternally, right? So what you once did to cleanse yourself, I will now fully accomplish for you with the provision of wine. So I'm going to turn the old water pots, these Jewish ritual pots of water, and I'm going to turn them into new wine. But when he turns them into new wine, what's the thing that the the, the head headmaster says? He's like, why did you bring that out now? You yeah, <laughs> this is the better one. This is the best wine. Yo, like, what have we been drinking this whole time? Like, why were you saving this? Most people bring out the best wine first. Why do you bring it out last? See, that's a subtle note. But it's interesting. Jesus didn't just turn this wine into like a $12, bottle, you know, $12 bottle of wine here, right? It's not convenience store wine. He's turning it into 
potentially the best, like, at least to them, by taste, the better one. It is the superior one. What did we just talk about with John and the baptism? Baptism is kind of like, in a way, like a, like a precursor, mm-hmm. um, foreshadowing to like the true baptism. Yeah, like John's baptism. People ask, like, why do you have to get baptized? Right? John's baptism was symbolic of the ultimate baptism that could be, right? The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes to a person of Christ in His work, right? Here we find the same thing. Jewish rituals of purification. Sure, they could. Suffice to some degree. They could be symbolic of a cleansing that we all require. But to actually have that cleansing done permanently in your life can only come through the miracle work of Christ. And the miracle work of Christ that will ultimately yield that result is the hour for which he came. And the hour for which he came is his death on the cross for our sins. Are you starting to connect the dots in this miracle? It's quite spectacular. And some people might say, well, does John really have all this in mind? Absolutely he has this in mind. There's no other reason why he would write, now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom purification. He wants you to connect these thoughts. And I'll make it even more clear that I know for certain that John is writing this with this intention. At the end, I'll, I'll share what it is. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So we're already starting to begin to see the authoritative command of Christ. The divine decree that can bring forth things that we can't. So they took it to him. When the head waiter touched the water, which had become wine... Of course, wine is a sign of God's blessing. So God's blessing has been restored in this wedding, right? And did not know where it came from. We're going to get that language later again in John 3 with Nicodemus. The wind blows, but those who are not born again, they will not know where it came from, right? So this head waiter, this master, this ruler, does not know where this wine came from. The servants who had drawn the water knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom. Why would he call the bridegroom? Yeah, the bridegroom is responsible for this. So it's like as if, it's like, wow, this new wine, it's amazing. Yo, Jews, like, why are you bringing out this wine now? Right? Like, essentially, right? And he said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And then when people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Isn't that interesting? The good wine has now come. In Mark, we have a parallel um, parable coming or a story come from Jesus where he talks about old wineskins and new wineskins. Nobody pours a new wine into old wineskins. They pour it into new wineskins. So the old has gone, the new has come. That Pauline phrasing comes from this type of teaching from Jesus, right? That the old is no, has been now, has served its purpose and its time has ceased. Its service time has ended. The law and everything within it. Now, with Christ, the fulfillment of all these things, this is the new wineskin. This is the new wine. This is the good wine. This is the thing that everybody ought to be drinking. Right? 
this beginning of his signs so again seven signs jesus did in can of galilee manifested his glory see if the whole point of this was just turning water into wine to make sure there's wine at this party how does that manifest his glory <laughs> it's like wow i have powers turn water to wine okay. right but john makes it clear he understands what this was talking about because later when the hour finally comes john will talk about how this is the hour of his glory right so what's happening here john's looking back at this miracle and he's going oh my goodness that's what that meant and he's writing this down and he wants you to learn right and his and his disciples believed in him he writes verse 12 after this he went down to capernaum he and his mother, his brothers, disciples, and he stayed there for days. So again, just travel and time, those stamps are always given to us. Geography and time, they're going to be constantly provided for us in the text. And I'll tell you why I know for certain John is constructing this in a manner in which he wants us to understand it this way. That it's not just me like, oh, like, I think this is what this means in the context of the entire, you know, biblical like narrative. And I'm just like fitting pieces together. What comes right after this? Look at your Bibles. What do you see? It is the story of... We're not going to read it. We'll read it next week. Yeah, so it's the first Passover. That should already, like, you know, like, the <laughs> signal should be going off at this point, right? So Passover, whoa, on the heels of this first miracle. And what is he doing? Like most Jews on the Passover, they're going to the temple. temple on Jerusalem, right? Jesus going to the temple, he gets there, and what does he find? Merchants. Famously, merchants. Overpricing and taxing Gentiles specifically, and uh, basically taking advantage of the religious taxation system. And the need for, um, for animals that are clean uh, and worthy of offering to God. To Yahweh right so Jesus gets there and there's a mistreatment right I'll get into the details of that I'll probably bring like a map of the temple to show you exactly what's going on um, but he's chasing out these merchants and he's what do we famously say he is turning he's turning tables but also what is he doing to the temple he is cleansing it right so we have this image of him going to the temple where it is the monument of the Israel and the Judaic faith. He goes in and he's cleansing the temple, right? Off the heels of what? What did we just talk about? In the miracle, uh, in the first miracle, in the wedding in Cana, he is turning Jewish customary purification water pots into wine that is now the good wine that will be served in the ultimate wedding to come, right? It is the wine that will, all, like, that will keep this party going, essentially, right? So off the heels of doing this miracle of water into wine, he is then found in the temple of the Jews, cleansing it of the sins that they are committing, right? And he's ushering, essentially, in the same sense, that which is old and no longer able to suffice in its efficacy to provide um, purification I have now come 
at the end of the story, he will say to rebuild this temple. So the connection is very simple that John is making. He sees that first miracle and he sees exactly what Jesus is talking about. He sees Jesus walking into this temple and he sees exactly what Jesus is talking about. And he's saying, these are connected ideas. And so in his gospel, they're back to back. He doesn't give us any of the few days, everything that happens in the few days. Yeah. He wants these two stories to be next to each other in his gospel yeah. so that you are able to see the connection of his ministry and the works that he did. Okay, so when we get there next week, we'll talk about it. We're going to end here, but any comments, thoughts, or questions on what we've learned today? How was your first experience? How's your first experience? It's great. Great. <laughs> anything interesting we learned or anything that was helpful? Any questions you might still have? I never read John 2 with all that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> never. <laughs> Anything stand out? Oh, I guess Everything. like <laughs> <laughs> one thing maybe this doesn't have to exactly do with like actual verses, mm-hmm. but it's just kind of the I'm impressed with like, the actual just authorship mm-hmm. itself. Mm-hmm. I think um, taking the Bible, I take it as just again like kind of just one story, mm-hmm. right? Even though I know it's like broken up to other books, but I really don't put much emphasis on that, right? I know we're, we're meant to like remember every single author, but or every single book in the Bible. But it, to me, it's just like I never really understood exactly why, to be honest. Um, because to me, it's just like one big story. Obviously, it's like not exactly in chronological order. Yeah. But it's it just it's giving the message that we need to convey. Yes. Right. But I I was always like curious because. Kind of like what you talk about with like the author of whether it be like of Lord of the Rings or a lot of people that like just study the Bible and say how much depth there is to it, right? In comparison to like any other text, to me it was like, oh, is it because of like the parables, right? And certain you know stories that are very very difficult to decipher, um, which makes it interesting. But I guess like actual seeing like the format and everything, yeah. it's very very. Simple. And like we've comp- like we've really got in- gotten into the literary complications of what John is talking about and the themes that are present, because we have the time to do it. But when you're first hearing this, you don't have the time to break down every word that he's saying, right? Yeah. Or the letter that's being read to you. I think what's simply being conveyed is Jesus turned that which ran out, like Jesus turned water, which cannot be like drank as like a drink in this wedding. He's turned it into wine. He's taken something old and useless and turned it into something new and great. He will do the same in the temple. He's gone in. This is old and bad. So it's going to run out, cease, and a new thing will come out of it. Mm-hmm. And Jesus will be uh, the one who brings that as a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I think... Sorry. Uh, go finish it. Oh, it's just like... Even, even hearing the story of like water into wine, right? It's very famous... But I think, like many people probably even, like, at that wedding, all I just ever took it as, even the story, is 
it's just cool, you know? It's like, okay, God's very powerful, right? Yeah. I, th- I always thought, like, okay, that's just, like, the main message of it, right? No one else can turn something into something else, pretty much. Um, and then if I were to, like, look into it a bit deeper, then maybe I would see, oh, something, like, you know, not that great to something better, right? And then that would be, like, the furthest depth I could go. <laughs> right? yeah. But there's... <laughs> many, many, many more. Many things, yes. Just like so many of the things in John, like it's yeah, basically along the same lines of like I wouldn't have thought that deep into it, but as soon as like we talk about it or like we acknowledge it, I'm like, oh, like the, like why didn't I see that yeah. earlier? Like why didn't I already know that? Uh. Yeah. So are you gonna say something? Uh, I was gonna say it was cool learning that wine represents blessings like mm-hmm. here Jesus provides the wine to I guess like in my head it's like the emphasis is like Jesus is the provision of like, bless that blessing mm-hmm. he's like yeah yeah I don't know the provision and the means by which that blessing it's is received. actually yeah received by us right like he is the source of the blessing itself, right? But a lot of times we're so infatuated with um, that which is tangible on the wine itself. So it's very easy to fall into the trap of looking at this miracle and basically extracting from it this. Jesus is divine and has powers and he's exercising those powers. Yeah. And completely miss the christological theme of what john is trying to convey because again we can't lose sight of john 20 30 to 31 mm-hmm. right his thesis is clear mm-hmm. right that we will see these wonders these mm-hmm. things that he's handpicked mm-hmm. to record for us so that those who hear would believe that jesus is truly the son of god right if that is truly his objective we have to read this and and read it this way kind of backwards going mm-hmm. How does this show us that he is the son of God? That's the question we have to constantly answer in all of these signs. Right? How does it teach us? How does it show us this? Why did John select this miracle and why is he conveying it in this manner? That's why I don't think it's nonsense to... to um, sorry, I, that's why I don't, I don't think uh, it makes sense to believe that John accidentally constructed these things this way. Yeah, I just don't, I can't believe that because it's too precise to his thesis. It's actually mind-blowing to what extent everything Jesus did was in line with his purpose here. Yes, yes, thank you. Absolutely, yeah. His focus, even more so in John, um, I won't say more so, but very emphatically in John, is the cross, 100%. Like that hour, you'll see. Like if you're, I don't know if you, how many times you read John, but if you go through John, you read ahead, and you'll see just how many times he talks about the hour that is yet to come, and then it finally comes, and you're like, oh, it's here. <laughs> it's like, he finally says it. He himself says it. He's like the hour has now come. And when he says those words, after reading chapters and chapters of him saying, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And finally, you get to that chapter, and he's like, my hour has come. It's like. It's something just drops in you and you're like oh dang like it's finally come and then you realize what he's talking about mm-hmm. and it's the cross mm-hmm. right um it's pretty crazy mm-hmm. 
Um, so you know how we were talking about, or like we were kind of comparing the water into wine with like the baptism and like his blood being shed for us. You said that was too far of a stretch. Yes. I forget where I was going with this point. Yeah. So I think the water imagery, we can't intertwine them as being all one singular, like one singular uh, representation of one singular thing, mm-hmm. right? So water is an image that will come up over and over and over again each time alluding to an aspect of the accomplishment that Christ is able is accomplishes on the cross on our behalf right so if baptism is in reference to the baptism of the spirit so that we are finally uh, redeemed right um, that's one thing right and then if here in the water in the water turning into wine I don't think I think it has a very loose connection to baptism as an as like a sacrament, but I think the connection is the work of Christ on the cross mm-hmm. accomplishes one aspect, like the baptism component, the baptism of the Spirit, and also accomplished for us this coming of good wine, this coming of God's blessing, right? Mm-hmm. This receiving of His blessing fully in its fulfillment in Christ and His work, mm-hmm. right? And so each time it pops up. Like when we get to living water, for example, it's like, whoa, eternal life. Right? Eternal life is another theme, by the way, that'll constantly come up here, right? Um, famously, John 3.16, right? All who believe have everlasting life. Eternal life will be a very common one. So I don't think we can... So they're all like, like different water images pointing to Christ and His cross and accomplishments of the cross. But they're not like all in and of themselves saying the same thing, like a mm-hmm. singular thing. So we can't like thread them all like that. Mm-hmm. I think they all thread to the cross. Mm-hmm. Anything else? I'm just ashamed at how many times I read this. <laughs> 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 yeah, this time was different. <laughs> yeah, like. Um, this is one of my famous, or fa- not famous, favorite passages to preach on at guest speaking opportunities in churches because it is so famous mm-hmm. and it is so overlooked, mm-hmm. right, in its content. Yeah. Um, so hopefully that's been helpful. Sure. Now you can go and tell other people about it. But um, homework for this week is read the rest of chapter two. So that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to read 13 all the way to the end. So we're going faster now. We're going to pick it up. We're going to go to verse 25 next week. Um, And we will see the cleansing of the temple. And we'll talk about another important theme. Not a theme, but at least... Is it called... Would it be called an image? A common feature of John's gospel, which is the Passover. And I'll try to help you understand... Uh, more so in detail the Passover its connection to Christ and um, its importance in the telling of John's gospel right and what kind of role it plays in that mm-hmm. um, and then we'll get there mm-hmm. right. a lot of a lot of historical and a lot of like cool little details next week okay on that note let's pray who hasn't prayed yet Jet alright you can pray <laughs> Joe will pray for us and we'll conclude. Um, yeah, dear Heavenly Father, um, it's kind of uh, surprising to me um, how fast you work, uh, not only in my life, but uh, the people I love around me. Um, 
those who may not even know you. Uh, in, in one place a few months ago, you know, I thought I was very lost in many ways and then uh, so much kinds of, uh, kind of, whether it be miracles, blessings, hardships in my life are kind of revealed to me all at once and uh, in, through it all I consistently see uh, your presence and uh, how you are constantly working um, in relationship with me and, uh, and everyone around me. And it's, it's such a blessing to see, and I'm, I'm so blessed to have these opportunities, um, whether that be uh, finding you um, in a better spot or coming to church, um, finally opening up my Bible and actually diving into a way that, you know, I should have so long ago. Um, for so long, I think I was very ashamed that I never really went, dived, uh, dove into the Word, um, read any chapter one by one, um, or even the few parts that I did uh, just gloss over it uh, very easily um, and let the words kind of just fly over my head just so that I could understand your character to an extremely shallow level uh, but thought that would be enough to preach to my uh, brothers and sisters um, yet I know for a fact that was my own pride um, taking control and so uh, I'm very humbled in the sense to you know see it now right see it it's in it uh, in its entirety or you know have the opportunity to explore it in its entirety um, and um, I'm very thankful you know that you know my younger sister as well gets to, to join me in that um, as well as you know everyone else uh, whether that be in this church or or others that are finding you in their own uh, specific way uh, these past four or five weeks have been quite eventful um, every single Thursday is a Bible study and I know many people seem to always like dread these kind of little things but you know frankly I'm having such a good time uh, I know Arya Sasha and like everyone else is um, it's so interesting kind of actually seeing like the intricate intricacies of of the Bible of your word of scripture um, how much was is really poured into it how, how, tr how true it actually the truth really is um, uh, seeing these details that we've never really have been like brought up to us before, even or or even explored by other pastors. Um, so it's very, very interesting to see, and um, it encourages not only myself but everyone else to um, dig into it more, um, mm. uh, into the Word, and understand um, its truth. Um, it's so, uh, 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 it's how solid it is, um, and then encourage us, you know, to to branch out, right? Have these discussions um, with the community. Um, bring up these questions that I think are important, um, and most importantly, bring up these questions to you, Lord. Um, many of us doubt your identity. Many of us uh, doubt who you are, um, but you know you show us in different ways, and I think this is the best way um, for all of us. And you know, it's, we've, it's been taking it's been taking a long time, um, but you know I don't feel rushed at all, right? I don't feel like you know why is this taking so long? It doesn't feel like a drag either, right? It feels like a proper pace, right? It's nice to take my time to get to know you um, as we've been exploring through, you know, just John 1, right? Um, just the first chapter, verse by verse, seeing and understanding and believing that you are the Son of God, um, how much you have planned and been telling us these things, right? Showing us into our face, and yet a lot of the times we still choose to ignore. Um, and so looking at this now, like at Scripture, um, from a different angle, right? Uh, I can see you know, how almighty you are, um, how powerful you are, um, how loving you are. Um, 
to not only those in, in the story, but um, to us as well. And so I pray that, you know, for the coming weeks, uh, we do our homework, we stay diligent with this, um, as, you know, already being committed to coming every single week uh, has more than paid off. Um, and I pray that this continues on. Uh, can you continue working in us, right, in our every single day? Um, I pray for those who are unable to attend, um, that you work in them in their own ways. Um, you give them the opportunity to explore scripture on their own time um, because we really do see the value in it. And uh, I, I just can't help but uh, you know, rejoice in that and, and just be so thankful for it. Um, so yeah, just give me the courage, give all of us the courage and the strength to, to keep on going, um, to keep pushing um, because you always show how, how much more worth it it is in the end. It goes far beyond our expectations. Uh, so we thank you, and we love you so much. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen.